Hello, and welcome back to Wildly Human, the human design podcast. I am your host, Corinne Elliott at thezenfem.com. And I have an amazing episode for you today. I'm so, so, so excited to share this episode with you. It's it's just so exciting. I'm kind of fangirling right now, but I have my teacher and mentor, Barry Tesler, on the podcast today. And we talked about a lot of things, but mostly we're going to be talking about the art of money dates. And um, there's just so much I have to share with you, but let me first share with you a little bit about Barry. Um so she is a financial therapist and the founder of The Art of Money, a year-long money school for lay folks, and a four-month mentor program for therapists, coaches, and financial professionals. Barry trained as a somatic therapist and received her master's degree from Naropa University in 1998. She then ran a bookkeeping business for therapists and artists. In 2001, she merged all of her training and created a somatic-based financial therapy methodology that she's been teaching for 20-plus years, which is amazing. (laughs) And she's going to share a little bit about that as well. Um, Barry is the author of the book, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness, and The Art of Money Workbook. Her work has been featured on Oprah.com, Inc.com, U.S. News and World Report, Reuters Money, The Fiscal Times, USA Today, The Cut, Girlboss, NerdWallet, Real Simple, MindBodyGreen, and Redbook. She has also been featured on the cover of Experience Life and Mindful. Barry loves to read, dance, and enjoy dark chocolate. (laughs) She lives in Boulder, Colorado with her husband, son, many cats, and a big puppy. You can find her at barrytesler.com. So as I said, I am so excited to be sharing Barry Tesler with you today, and let's welcome her to Wildly Human. the human design podcast wildly human and I have a really really special treat today for everyone I have my teacher and mentor Barry Tesler the creator of the year-long money program called the art of money and the book and the workbook and the mentorship program now um, that I started taking with her last year and um Well, I started the Art of Money program back in 2016, and I can share a little bit more about that. But um, first, yeah, welcome, Barry. Thanks for being here. Corinne, thanks for having me. I've been really excited about this all day. So thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So I wanted to actually just dive in and ask you a few questions about 
uh, money dates. Because when I first heard about your work, I actually, I had a friend send me one of your blog posts and um, it was like right after I had gone through uh, some kind of situation where I was filing for child support and um, trying to get my own finances back in order, like being um, on my own. And um, I I learned how to do money dates um, basically from just like the blog posts that you shared and all kinds of resources that you had on your website. And I learned how to do money dates for myself. And now I do them with my partner. We've been doing those for a few years, but um, yeah, I'm curious about how that came up for you. Like, how did you decide that money? Day, I, it's just, a, it's a powerful tool. So I'm curious about how that evolved for you. It's so interesting how people find my work or really what's the entrance way, right? So what's the one thing, the one tool, the one practice that got you interested or excited or engaged or, you know, and so I love hearing for you is money dates and money dates is something that I've been doing since day one. And all these tools and practices that I teach, I need them. (laughs) I needed them. And I think they were created out of just my own need for ritual and deeper meaning and playfulness and bringing intention and, you know, all the things that I was studying at Naropa University when I was training to be a somatic therapist, like all, all the tools and practices that we were studying there I needed to bring those to my relationship to money or I just was not going to have one. So, you know, money dates is one of the many tools, but it's, it was like, it was step, it was, it wasn't step one, it was step two for me, you know, and, and it was sit myself down and start tracking your numbers. And there had been a previous step where I learned QuickBooks and Quicken and that, you know, that was an entire thing, but and scary thing and empowering thing. Um, But I started doing my own money dates where I would just sit down and track what was coming in every day, what I was spending. I would save my little receipts and I would enter them into my QuickBooks, you know? And I realized I always had to have my candle lit. I always had to have my chocolate. I always had to have some rocks, some lavender oil. You know, I needed my stuff. I needed my my, my, my things, my ritual things. And, you know, that's, those were my first money dates. I think was just sitting down and tracking income expenses through QuickBooks and creating a practice around that. And I don't remember when I came up with the word money dates. I mean, I've been, I don't know, I've been doing financial therapy work for 22 years. So was it the very first group? You know, I just started naming things, you know, (laughs) body check-in, money dates, things like that. Um, At some point, I started expanding upon what a money date is, right? A money date is just you sit down and give this area of life some time and attention and care. And yeah, I have lots of different ways of how it can look. And ultimately, you have to craft your own money date practice. And it has to work for you. And it could start out five minutes a day, then 10 minutes, then 15 minutes, then 30 minutes. You know, um, people schedule it. People do it spontaneously. And it's really just sitting down and going, hey, money, 
you know, what is one next step that I can take? And some people get out their to-do lists and start going through that. Some people check in and do a body check-in, you know, hey, what am I feeling right now? What are the sensations that are coming up in my body? What's going on? Why am I so anxious right now to pay these bills or to send out these invoices? Or why am I having a hard time staying in my body? Or, you know, what's going on? You know, do I need a snack? Do I need to drink some water? Do I need to take a break and go for a walk? Right? So money dates are sitting down. Hey, money, what's going on? What is one next step you can take? You know, here's another little money date I just do spontaneously now is every morning when I wake up, depending on if I'm on, you know, taking teenager to school and doing all that, you know, when I get coffee, at some point I sit down at my computer and I go online, I look at my numbers and I'm just looking at my accounts. Like what are the balances? You know, I, I open up things, open up accounts. Does anything look funny? Any expenses that don't seem right? Any money leaks, you know, that we need to clear up? I just take a peek. You know, I start looking around a little bit. Um, it helps ground me for the day. I get to see where we're at. Um, you need to move money around. We move. I move money around. You know, just sim simple things like that. But I do start out most of my days, you know, maybe post-coffee, post-teenager, you know, and I do do a little money date like that. And then longer money dates can be everything from, all right, now I need to learn a bookkeeping system. Let me find a bookkeeping trainer who's going to teach me QuickBooks, or I'm going to go online and learn about Quicken or YNAB or, you know, and watch some videos and learn it. Or I need to reach out to a new financial coach or financial planner. I need to call the bank or I need to, you know, there's a long list. And so we only can do this long, big list, you know, in small bite-sized chunks, one step at a time. And so money dates are just this space that you can create where you're, you know, attending to this area of life on a practical level, emotional, psychological level, and so on. That I am that that's it. That's it in a nutshell, right? I, you know, I could talk for so long, and and I'll also say, I always teach and invite people to do money dates themselves first. Like start start having these dates yourself. You know, learn your nut. There's lots of things to do. Learn your numbers. Learn a bookkeeping system. Rename rename everything so it's more in alignment with your values. There's so many little things that you can do that are ultimately fun. You know, like it can be fun. It can be meaningful. Um, I love renaming. So there's lots of things that you can do on a money date. And as you said, there's tons of articles, 27 ways to have a money date. And But start to do these money dates yourself first and get a handle on it. And then eventually you can start having money dates with your partner, with your teenagers, you know, and so on. Yeah, I really love how um, there, yeah, I, because I did start doing them on my own um, and I did them on my own for a long time, but I think I, I just love your approach because, so when I first read the article, I think it, you talked about uh, you were going through something uh, financially. I don't, I'm, I'm not remembering what it was, but it was like, and I, I lit a candle and then I danced and moved to, and, and I was like, wow, this is so different. And so I tried it, 
in that in that way and it just felt so different to just you know sitting down and doing doing the hard number stuff that I had just only been taught to do before um and then there was a lot of sorry really important point right so Mm -hmm. I did say just sit down light a candle but hey if you need to put on some music a lot of people do and dance around your room first you know or as part of your money date right um go do it like there's no one way there's no right way there's no wrong way there is bring all the modalities like not all of them but you know a couple of them in every money date make it interesting make it fun add what you know add whatever qualities you want to be bringing into it and if you're having a hard moment and you're someone who goes to movement and dance like i do right and like you did and you know then do that light a candle go do some movement in your room come back and then start making a list of some next things and then go take another break and dance again and come back. Like there's so many different ways that you can craft a money date and it has to work for you. And, you know, this is certainly all the creative folks or anyone who's a spiritual practice or, you know, like we all need this. Like this is just essential, essential. Yeah. If we're going to do this. Yeah, one of the other things that I um, really appreciated was, so when I was first starting to do that work, a lot of shame came up. And I think like your approach and the somatic approach that you have helps me work through the feelings and the emotions that w- and the shame that would come up when I was looking at numbers and feeling like I wasn't making enough or how am I going to manage this big expense or or whatever, but um, yeah, so the somatic approach is is something that's so unique and well, it's it's more common now, but you've been doing this for, like you said, 22 years. So can you can you just give a little background about how you decided to merge that with uh, financial therapy? Yeah, so you know, my training was somatic therapy. And it's what saved me in my 20s. You know, it gave me real life skills that I needed. You know, how to listen to your body, how to listen to my body again, or how to remember, um, or how to trust the messages, you know, inside my body, or how to trust yes, clear yeses, clear noes. Just how to listen, how to listen. I, you know... I asked my parents if I could go to therapy when I was 16 and they sent me to a guy therapist and a talk therapist. And, you know, it was a, it was a, it was an okay first step, but neither of those really were a good match for me at the time, but it was a step, you know, and I learned quickly that I'm someone who stores a lot in the body. I think a lot of us do. And, um, I, also was a dancer my whole life. So I knew that as a teenager going into my room and playing loud music and dancing out all of my emotions, I could come out afterwards and have more clarity and understanding of what was going on and then be able to articulate, you know, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, you know? And so that led me to living in Israel for a year. When I was in Israel, one day I was jogging outside of the kibbutz that I was living on. And I totally thought I made up dance movement therapy and somatic psychology. I was, you know, I got this like, this like light beam of, you know, 
this light bulb idea of, you know, I've, I've always been a dancer and I'm really into psychotherapy and, you know, and psychology and I'm going to put these together, you know, and I, you know, and then I get to Jerusalem and hear that there's graduate programs in dance and women therapy and somatic psychology. And I didn't make up anything, but how cool, you know, that there was a graduate program that I could go to. And so I left Israel and came back to the States and applied to Naropa University when I was and at 23 and then started the somatic psychology program at 24, right? So I spent all of my 20s steeped in somatic psychology and learning those tools. And my main practice was authentic movement. You don't hear about it as much, but it's a movement meditation practice. It comes from Jung's work. It comes from a modern dancer. You know, it, it, she merged all these things um, and created authentic movements. I'm forgetting her name. Is it Mary Whitehouse? And anyways, I, I, need to, I need to remember this. But, and so that was like my favorite practice. Instead of doing sitting meditation and sitting on a cushion, we would get into small groups and there would be one person being the witness and then the, the rest were the movers. And I learned how to do both, how to facilitate groups and be the mover. And you really, as a mover, are, are asking yourself just to listen quietly. There's no music. And you're just listening to sensations inside of your body and then you follow them into movement and sound and it can look however it looks you know like running around the room moving your pinky finger lying on the floor like making sounds you know it was so deeply healing for me to learn how to do that um it really saved me in so many ways but it also, you know, I was dealing with a lot of bereavement at that time, too. And then I'll get to how I connected somatic tools to financial therapy. I'm almost done. But in my 20s, I lost four of the my closest men in my life. So um, I, my, my poppy died, my grandfather, my two uncles died, my beloved uncles, and an Israeli boyfriend died. So I was dealing with so much grief and... I got through that by dancing every night, all night long, you know, with candles lit, right? And that was when I was 23, the bulk of that grief. And then I started that graduate program, you know? So I was practicing authentic movement that whole time, leading bereavement groups, working in the mental health field. And my favorite topics, as you know, were sexuality and sensuality and intimacy and relationships and grief and death you know like those those are my topics and it wasn't until the school loan came due when I finished the master's that all of a sudden I was like holy shit you know can I swear can I yeah, swear in here? that's totally fine holy shit. um how did I get through graduate school and we never talked about money you know how did we not have a class on money, you know, what are the money, what are the emotions that come up around money? What are our money stories? How do we create our money habits and patterns? And, you know, how do we have loving, not fighting, swearing conversations with our partner? You know, how do we start a private practice? And it just was, it was so alarming to me that this was not part of my training as a therapist. And so I realized in that moment, I had to learn everything that I could about my own relationship to money 
And I wound up learning bookkeeping and that led me to taking a little detour between graduate school and starting financial therapy where I was doing bookkeeping for other therapists and coaches and artists. And none of them even knew that I had a master's in somatic psychology. They just threw their bookkeeping at me and they were like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Just here my books, you do them. And I always say, I learned so much about people's earning and spending patterns and values. And I just learned about people's relationship to money by doing their bookkeeping in a significant way. It was such great training. And then when I turned 32, it was time to integrate. It felt like it was time to integrate all of that really deep training as a therapist, as a somatic therapist. Um, and, and me facilitating groups and people going into really deep places with all of these really practical money tools and bookkeeping, you know, and things that I never thought I'd be interested in, you know, to put it all together. And I remember this is going to answer your question now is, you know, how did I bring the somatic tools into the financial therapy? It was, I had a mentor who said to me, it's time for you to give a talk on your work. And I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, like, I, I work with uh, an individual or a couple, but I do not speak in, in front of more than three people at a time. So what are you talking about? And she just was like, young lady, you know, I was 32, but young lady, she was in her fifties, you know, it's time, it's time for you to just show up. And so I went out into the woods and went on my big walks and, you know, just, just asked, what am I supposed to bring back to my community and how do I help people have a healthy, savvy, empowered, creative, and so on relationship to money, you know, and this is where me and my husband were living in a tiny cabin and threw up white paper, white paper on the, on the, the walls. It, it was literally like a 350 square foot cabin that we were living in. Um, and we came up with money healing, money practices, money maps. Those are the three phases of my methodology. I came back, I gave that talk in front of like 20 or 30 people. I stayed in my body you know, during that talk, I was sweating. Oh my God. I mean, I was sweating, 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 but I was using all of the authentic movement tools of when I was witnessing, like watch what is happening in the room and come back to yourself. Watch what's happening in the room and come back to yourself, that oscillation, you know, and <clears throat> from there, it was time to lead a first group. I was like, all right, it's time to lead a group on my methodology. And the very first evening, I had 10 people in my living room we are now living in a little apple orchard, um, still in a small house, but bigger than 350 square feet. And I, the very first evening, I was like, it was a six week group. And I think I asked people to talk about their money story and their childhood and what they learned from their parents and what their role was with their sibling. Like, were they the spender? Were they the saver? And everyone just went blank. I think I just realized that it was too fast, too furious. And guess what? I wasn't giving them any tools to slow down, get in their body, right? Notice what was the sensations? What were the emotions? Where was their breathing? And it was just so clear that I was missing my somatic tools. And so the very, the very next class, I brought in the body check-in. And so whenever I would teach, I would see what was working, what wasn't, I would fine tune it and I would see what was missing, you know? So body check-in 
was just the simplest way of explaining what we did in graduate school as you know training to be therapists when we were checking with ourselves or when we were looking when we were working with a client and supporting them to pause and notice and check in and invite them to you know see what's happening in their body on a physical level on a sensation level on an emotional level where is their breath in their body and then I've always ended a body check-in with now what is one adjustment that you can make that would help you feel more present. And now everyone calls that um, um, resourcing. Mm. Now everyone, so, so when I graduated in 1998, Peter Levine's books, first book just came out. So we weren't taught Peter Levine's trauma work or trauma, right? Trauma work. We were taught somatic psychology, everything that had been up to there, you know, all the work that I do, people now call trauma-informed work. You know, but we were calling it somatic psychology, right? Um, but so I always end a body check-in with what is one little adjustment you can make in your body, lower your shoulders, loosen your jaw to help you feel more present or okayness in this moment and in your body, right? So for me, it was, again, I the only way I was gonna have a relationship to money or create a methodology was if I could bring the rituals and the tools and practices that I was learning in graduate school and living in my 20s and bring them over here, you know, integrate them, imbue my money life with all this and, it just seems so obvious and necessary. Like we, you know, we have such big emotions. Well, I'll speak for myself, right? Like, so I'm very sensitive. I have big emotions. They go up and down and all around. On the Enneagram, I'm a four, you know? So I've had to learn to work with that. And when it comes to money, so many people, you know, have all the same set of emotions that come up everywhere else, the shame, the anxiety, the sadness, the anger, the hope, the joy, the excitement, right? And then now, as we all know, everywhere in between, we all get really dysregulated in life and in money. And when we're going down to send off and going down, when we're sitting down to send off an invoice, when we're going online to look at our numbers, when we're going to make a money decision and have a money conversation, right? When we're on and on and on, right? When we're doing online shopping. So we can go into fight, flight, freeze. We can go into all these different states. So short version is that the somatic, integrating the somatic tools were just so needed um, as we were beginning to learn our money stories to help us slow down, notice, get in our body, but it's just essential as we're doing our money healing work and as we're learning a bookkeeping system and, you know, and on and on. And so I'm always inviting people to bring the somatic tools. And, you know, when I do a body check and it's on all those levels, but if you don't get what listening to your body, what your sensations are, then what about, can you notice where your breathing is in your body? Can you notice that? Or can you notice what emotion is present? Like we all, do we all check in with our bodies different? So again, there's no right way or wrong way. And it's so helpful 
what, before you're going to have a money conversation or before you're going to go sit down with a financial planner to do a body check-in as prep. What's going on in my body? What are my what's happening with my sensations? What's happening with what feeling is here? What is my breathing? Am I breathing? Am I holding my breath? And then a body check-in, it's so helpful. If you forget to do prep, then what about in the heat of the moment when you're feeling all the feelings? Do a body check-in, pause, stop, check in. Or if you forget all of that afterwards as a debriefing, how did that go? How are you feeling now? What are the sensations now? So body check-ins for me are, you know, do them before as prep, do them in the moment, you know, do them after. And I can I can talk for hours, so I'll pause, you know, in a second, but it just helps you bring so much more mindfulness to what's going on. It helps you bring more understanding to your money story, your triggers, your patterns. It helps you eventually learn which patterns are you going to keep? What are working? What's healthy? What's not? Where can you make changes, right? And to really get in touch with what set of sensations or, or emotions come up for you over and over and over? Are they the same? Are they different in different scenarios? It's just such a great learning tool and eventually can really help us calm down in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's also an amazing tool for working with um, others because if you're doing a money date with a partner, you know, things can get heated or just, you know, people have their own, they're bringing their own patterns and stories into the situation. So having that body check-in for you, at least if, if the other person hasn't learned that, then it's, it's powerful because then you can be more compassionate and more grounded and not reactive. I think it's essential, you know, yeah. if you're going to have any kind of money conversation with anyone, your parents, your kids, you know, your spouse, your partner, um, is to go into it with some kind of body check-in and to be doing a body check-in while the other person is talking, right? So with couples, I don't have you looking at your numbers first. That's like step three, you know? Step one is you tell stories from your childhood and you tell money stories. And I've had couples who've been together 10 years, 20, 30 years that learn new things about each other. Even though you think you know everything, there's things that, maybe we don't quite remember, or, you know, in my second book, which is a workbook, there's 200 journaling questions. I mean, there's 200 pages of journaling questions. So you can pick one question out and bring it to a money date and with your partner. And really like one of my favorite ones that I always talk about is if you had siblings, what was your role and what was their role and how did you feel about it? You know, cause this was such a loaded one for me being the oldest of three, I was designated the spender from like a very early age and my siblings were savers, right? And somehow, even though my dad was more of the spender, my mom was more saver, I was more, I like that came out as like, something's wrong with you, you know, that you like a lot of things, have a lot of interests, have a lot of desires, want things. It doesn't mean you're necessarily overspending. You just have a lot of desires, you know? And that was like, that was a financial identity that I had to learn to really embrace and love and realize like, yeah, I like a lot of things. I can be a spender, but I can also be a saver and I can also be a frugal. 
that's a newer one. I'm frugal in some ways, or I'm more conservative, or we can be many, many, many things and it can show up differently. But even just asking one question, you know, like, what do you remember about your mom and how she did money growing up? Or what about your grandparents, you know, and how did they do money and where did they come from? Were they born in this country? Did they, you know, immigrate from another country? How, what was that journey like? And just opening it up and yes, body check-in throughout that conversation is so important so that you're practicing. I'm just listening. I'm listening. I'm not. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. I'm horrified by what you're saying, or we do things different, or I would never do it that way, or my way's right. Like that all can come up, you know, and that does. And, you know, money dates for couples, I always say story time first, do that for a few dates. You, you each get to share. And the other person, when it's not your turn, just sit and listen, just sit and listen in a body check-in, right? And then move into phase two of money dates, talk about your values and how different you are and how you earn and spend and save. You know, one of you likes expensive road bikes and the other one is horrified by that. And, you know, and you like acupuncture and lots of self-care and the other one's horrified. So you talk about, you know, where you're different. And then thirdly, you talk about who's on what, like who's going to be doing the bookkeeping now, who likes to do it, who's good at it that can switch over a long relationship, you know, do you need to move over money? Do you need, like, that's where you can talk about what bookkeeping system are you using? Do you need to bring in a bookkeeper? You know, and then the fourth thing we can talk about any of this more is, you know, making sure you're really, really, really truly on the same team, life goals, phase of life. One of you wants to leave the, their job because they hate it. Okay. How can you, do that as a family, you want to travel, uh, you know, just, just really, really, really getting on the same team. So I kind of, I have a whole thing for couples money dates. That's a little different than solo money dates. Um, and that takes longer. And I always say with couples, you're moving mountains. Like if, if you can talk about money and the beginning, you might be fighting and swearing and, you know, crying and running off and and then you got to practice it and come back and we're going to have another money date and you know and each time you're learning how to listen more you're learning how to be more compassionate you're learning that it's okay if they have different styles or approaches and you each have something to bring to the table and so on yeah so wow that's actually just a whole whole process that you've just shared with everyone that they can take and use now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it really works. I know um for my partner and I, it's been amazing because we well, we we grew up in the same area and we went to high school together and um but we spent most of our adult lives on complete completely opposite sides of the world. Um and um, we just have, we have different money stories, uh, in so many ways. And, you know, especially since, uh, graduation from high school, but knowing, like, I think a lot of times, um, when you think of like, how we're going to, how are we going to do this money thing together? We think like, let's just sit down and like, do the numbers, look at the bank accounts and what the bills are. 
and there's there's really no sharing like what your background is and what um or even like your spending patterns or if if you have debt or um just if you how your income patterns are like are you getting paid every two weeks while your partner gets paid like whenever because they work for themselves like all of that is like nothing is too small and you, just bringing all of that to the table maybe not all at once <laughs> like you said but bring that all to the table and just being really clear and just trying to get on the same page is that's just been our that's been our goal to to just be on the same page and that doesn't mean that we always think that things should be the same all the time but to just be supportive of how each of us wants to do something or other and like taking that thing into consideration. And, and I know for me and my partner, it was really big for, for him to understand um, because he is a, a teacher. And so he receives, um, you know, he gets paid every like twice a month and I work for myself and I've been working for myself for a really long time. And it, it comes in waves as you know, <laughs> So it's, it's not like, and, but we do manage, we sit down every time he gets paid and like, you know, at least twice a month we do that. And so that's kind of our, our marking point for when we're definitely going to be, be doing a money date. Um, and so it's more predictable in that sense, but then we'll do little check-ins here and there, like every week, or if we have something coming up, like this, you know, trip that we're taking or something we need to purchase because of the car or, or whatever. We, we have little micro money dates just whenever things come up. So, yeah. It, that's amazing. I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy work. It gets easier. It doesn't mean you'll never have a fight about money ever again. It's just like, it's not one day your money emotions are going to go away. Right. But it's, we learn tools and practices to work with them. We learn how to have a different kind of money, we, uh, different kind of money conversation. We learn that we can create a safe and brave space with our partners. You know, it doesn't mean you know we won't have a hard day and get tripped up about something, and then we can come back and be like, okay, I didn't handle that so well, or let's try that conversation again. But it takes practice. It does take a lot, a lot of practice at the beginning because so many couples like you know just like scoop things under the rug and so much is not talked about and so many decisions are made at the beginning, unless you're older or it's a second marriage or third marriage or, you know, where like from the beginning, you're like, we got to talk about this. We, re we really have to put this all on the table, but so many couples don't talk about it or even the decision to, well, I'm, I'm going to have the babies. Um, and so I'm going to stay home, but actually I don't want to, I'll have the babies, but I want to go back to work or, you know, like there's so many conversations to be had or couples just like merge their accounts some right away because that's what their parents did where other people don't merge, you know, have it separate for years. And there's all these unconscious things and there, there's no, again, right way or wrong way. It's what's best and what's going to, what's best for now, you know? Um, but yes we need to have conversations about all of this yeah yeah and did you did you start doing money dates with your husband early on or was that an evolution <laughs> yeah I think we did because it was part of my work so my husband and I came together 22 years ago and within six months 
I told him like right when we met, I'm on my way to California because I'm going to do this training in authentic movement in Sebastopol, California, in this tiny little town. And so he decided to come with me, you know, and then my work like all happened pretty quickly. And so everything that I've created or all these tools and practices, I started doing them for myself right away. And then we started doing them. We started doing them right away. I mean, there's been so many different iterations. Um, <clears throat> I mean, my husband used to do his bookkeeping on a little piece of paper, you know, he had like five expenses, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, so we were hippies back then. Like it was, it was really, really, really simple, you know? Um, and he was, we both were like getting paid every two weeks. And then pretty quickly we were both working for ourselves, you know, so income was up and down. And then over the years, there have been times where he'll go work for a company and then get a steady paycheck. And I'm like, oh my God, is that awesome? You know? Um, there may be a ceiling on it, but it's steady, 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 you know, and that's so nice. Um, and, you know, some of our favorite, favorite dates, though, have been more visioning dates where we would go out for dinner over a glass of wine. And that's where we would talk about the big stuff, you know, where are we at, what's going on. But we even just had a little spontaneous money date um, at the kitchen table, or we, you know, went for a brunch and we just like laid it all out. Like, this is what's going on with cash flow right now. This is what we need to do next. This is the savings cash flow pile that we got to use. Or we, you know, just, we just been talking about this for so long that it's more spontaneous at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a time where it was way more planned out, you know, and there was a time where, you know, I did our bookkeeping for at least a decade. And then when I, well, I guess it, yeah, was that, I don't know how, the dates, but as soon as I got pregnant, he decided to take over the bookkeeping and I never would have imagined that. So don't be surprised if you change roles or, you know, like let that happen. You know, usually the person doing the bookkeeping is the one who likes to be in control or is just good at it or, you know, yeah. just yeah. right. And the other person is like, I'm going to not deal with this. I'm going to go stick my head in the sand. And so it was incredible when he came to me and said, I'm going to learn what was it at the time, Mint, I think, or Quicken, you know, and he just taught himself in one night where it took me, you know, weeks or months to learn QuickBooks. And it was so painful and so uncomfortable. And when I finally did, it was incredible. Um, but I, I wasn't tech savvy to just like go teach myself a bookkeeping system, you know? Um, so there's, yeah, there's so many different ways in which we have money dates, but now that our son is 14, we don't share everything with him. You know, he's aware we're entrepreneurs. Okay, let me scratch that. I'm not calling myself an entrepreneur. That's so funny. He's a, lately, I'm changing that. For years, I was like, I'm a creative entrepreneur. And lately, I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm, I have a really healthy practice, you know, with group groups and group programs and private clients. But I'm not slapping down the big bucks. You know, mm. I'm not going into big debt. I'm not making big investments. I'm not having a big team. I like having a small team. I like growing incrementally and then getting some big leaps. And so, but we're business owners, <laughs> small business owners, right? And my husband's more, yeah. And so 
our son knows that there's ups and downs and all's all arounds with that. Um, so we don't tell him like day to day stuff, week to week, you know, but he, he wants to be a part of the conversation, you know, when he was a big part, a big player in I'm done with private school, I would rather use those funds for something else. And he was really clear he wanted to use it for travel, you know, or recently he's very clear he needs us to be done shopping at Whole Foods. He wants us to shop at Trader Joe's because we'll save a lot of money. Yeah, there's oh, wow. great snacks. There's there's great snacks there too, you know. Um, or he'd rather, you know, like he has his his own set of where he wants to be spending money, and we we I've mine and my husband and his, and so we're all, we're all trying to navigate this and discuss it, you know. And I'll give you one last example. When we were on our trip in California recently, I like to try out new restaurants. Now maybe one is really expensive, the rest are more like medium price, but I'm not going to be doing fast food, you know, where my son is like, I'd rather spend money, less money on food and rather have it for skiing or thrifting, you know? And so we had to kind of all negotiate. That's the word. Like we all have different spending styles and wants and needs. And we all need, if we can, to get our needs met here um, and to see where we can negotiate and where not. And, but we're all trying to make some decisions together. Yeah. That's really cool that you bring your son into the equation and give him the choices or the the power to make decisions about those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also like, you know, you want more money for clothes, like sell some stuff on Poshmark, you know, like get it up there and price it and write the description and you can even have some of my clothes and whatever you sell, then yeah, you get that and you ship it out, you package it and ship it out. I have to drive obviously to the post office, but that's it. He does all the rest. And so he's been getting some money um, so that he can go consignment and thrifting shopping and, and is loving it. That is such a good idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to find, find ways of, for um, my daughter and my partner's son to make extra cash because you know, they're busy with their school schedules. And so having a, a job outside of school is, and because of where we live, it's kind of hard to find a job to begin with. But um, yeah, aside from doing chores, it's it's like, what can we do to give them little ways to make money? And so that's a really good idea. <laughs> it was literally just, we've tried that. We were, have, we were stuck too. And this just spontaneously happened. Um, which is really cool and works for his personality. He has friends that had been doing that for a while, but like they were buying sneakers and selling sneakers and he wasn't necessarily like, he doesn't necessarily have uh, maybe the chutzpah capacity to do it in that way. But the way we're doing it on Poshmark does work for him and it is teaching him some basic, you know, important business skills too, you know, price it and, you know, and, write the description so it's enticing you mm -hmm. know for someone and anyway yes yeah wow you have an entrepreneur <laughs> well you know he's wanting to make some extra money and do it in a way that feels good for him but we'll see we'll see i mean we're already noticing different styles you mm -hmm. know like he would price it higher and wait um until he got a better offer and i want to make a 
not, I don't want it to be cheap or, you know, but like, I want to make a good deal. I want with someone on Poshmark. It's not like these other sites where you're just going for the best deal. Like on Poshmark, I, for the most part, I'm sending over this pair of clog boots to someone who's so excited to have them. So I want it to be a good, a good price, a good deal, you know? So we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about our different styles. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So do you, when you, when you have money dates, um, do you have like little money dates with your son as well? I mean, they're not planned, but they've just happened at over meals. A lot of them have happened over meals. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we would go into his room and be like, we need to have a talk. You know, <laughs> That's usually like when we're like, hey, you know, you need to be participating more in this household and cleaning up more and things like that, you know. Um, but I think it happens just a lot spontaneously over meals for us. Yeah, yeah. Family. Yeah. So just to... Um... Just to throw a little bit of human design into this, uh, I know you shared your chart with me and because this is a podcast that integrates human design, <laughs> I just wanted to share uh, that Barry is a generator, a sacral generator. And I can tell I can tell you a little bit more about what that means um, another time, but um, it looks like you're a Capricorn right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, big time. So big, it makes like, sense. You so, have such a yeah. grounded approach. <laughs> oh, so steady, mountain goat, you know? Yeah. 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 Yep. And you also have, um, so in your chart, you have, um, so there are centers in the chart that if you look at it, it's, it's either like white or colored in, and it kind of looks like the chakras, right? Um, but in human design, there are nine centers instead of the seven main um, chakras. And it's actually based off of the Kabbalah, if you know the, the, the centers there. Um, and your emotional solar plexus is, is usually like right, you know, under by your sternum, right? Well, if you look at it on your chart, it's on, off to the right. And it's open. And when that's when we, we were talking about um, emotion and being sensitive, it shows that in your chart. Um, so the emotional solar plexus being open, it means that you're you're very sensitive to emotion, and you probably feel emotions um, from others very easily and from the world. And and you're holding a lot. You can hold a lot there, and be amplifying that energy. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's also a place because of that, where um, we're meant to become wise. I'm actually open in this area as well. And so any place where we have um, a white area, it's where it's open and it's where we're not, not used to having that energy, like consistently, like steady. So we're meant to learn from it and to become wise about it. And so I just think it's cool that you you talk you do talk a lot about emotion and or at least that's I hear that from you a lot and you're very emotionally wise. <laughs> I've had to be, you know, it's a survival skill because right because they're so big in me and I'm I'm so sensitive and I can sense so much of 
myself and everyone around me and everyone who's in the room, you know, and I'm tracking all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also smelling it. So I love that there is like smell was my main sense because I'm smelling like that's what I'm leading with. But yes, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm sensing it (laughs) via emotions and smelling it. Um, But it's also something where I, you know, I've had to realize that I can't take every emotion so seriously, you know, like I did when I was younger, you know, and I would just ride those waves. And it's not that I block them out or stop them, but I just cannot be following every emotion or wave that I have mm-hmm. um, because that's what I would be doing all day. So I have to be, you know, watching it, listening, noticing it. Um, and yeah, it, it will continue to be a teacher for the rest of my life. But yeah, I have to be very mindful of the spaces I'm in because of that. Yeah. 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 yeah noticing that a lot of emotions can come up around money. And I think um, I, I hadn't really heard about um, emotions coming up around the topic of money until I came across your work. I have since then. I There was a book called emotional currency I think I, I read um but yeah other than that I I hadn't it, and it's so true I mean, <laughs> so you know again it was just so essential if I was going to create some kind of methodology or have a relationship to money it had to integrate all of my training as a somatic therapist so we're looking at sensation we're looking at emotions and Of course, you know, any big topic in life is going to have all the same set of emotions. Like they all have the same. It's not any different. But that was really surprising to me, you know, back in the day. Like, wait a second, that big list of emotions that we're always looking at, like, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I agitated? Am I angry? Am I anxious? Am I feeling shame? Like that whole list, it's the same thing that, that the same set of emotions come up around money. Mm-hmm. as well. And I remember just being surprised, being intrigued, um, realizing we need to talk about this. You know, this needs to be on the table. We need to understand what set of emotions or what emotions comes up for us. And why is it so separate? Like we're starting to, you know, people can be in therapy for years and then, and therapists aren't trained to talk about money. That's changing right? And so wouldn't be able to support someone to talk about it. But, you know, this goes back to growing up, we were not given a financial education, right? In small increments. So we weren't learning financial literacy and we weren't learning emotional literacy. Yeah. And those two things were like, you know, such huge missing pieces for me and for so many people when I was looking around that it was obvious they needed to be taught together. And, you know, I say this a lot lately. So what is it? 90% of our money decisions are based on our emotions. There's even statistics saying 95% of our money decisions are based on on our emotions. So, you know, all the traditional finance books are fine. They teach, you know, how to live within your means, how to save, how to pay down debt or don't go into debt or how to invest, like that's all good stuff. But unless we understand what are the emotions that come up for us and where are they in our body 
and what are the stories with them and what do they remind us of and you know just how do we how do we how do we learn tools and practices so that we can meet those big emotions when they're present not run away from them not push them away not stop them not let them get stuck but just go hey you know like who are what what are you what what's going on what is the shame i mean shame is the first one for so many of us you mm-hmm. know i'm not okay everyone else learn about money but me you know if i just had come from a different family at a different income level i would have learned this or i've made mistakes or i'm wrong or I, i'm not smart with math so i can't do money like you know the whole spiel right but it's so real the shame is so big and so real because we don't get that most of us if not all of us did not receive a full education and this is had be you know it's changing but like was so taboo and so secretive and just passed down like do not talk about this in any way no matter what income level your family's at so that was perpetuated you know and it touches in on trauma and family trauma and you know so many things so you know just simply to learn and name and sit with and be with you know and notice and catch quicker the emotions the money emotions can be so incredibly helpful in the moments and then you can make a money decision and then you can you know you know see how that decision went and how do you you know afterwards would you've done that different or you know when you go into a new conversation or new money purchase can you set that up differently you know so that you will feel different before during and after you know we we can change we can change all of this right so yeah it's it's you know now lots of people are talking about money emotions right um i always i i i have so many good reviews hundreds of them for my book but every once in a while i get a bad review and then which ones do you think i think about i think about <laughs> that so two funny bad reviews for me i don't know if they're funny but one is um it was from a guy and he just said you know like the author makes it seem so everyone has these big bad money emotions like <laughs> big bad big 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 bad emotions around money like it's just black and white to me i don't understand it you know and i that one was really hilarious to me because like i'm a therapist you know it's like so yes in my world everyone has big emotions and you know um scary emotions and good ones too you know but like yeah everyone in my world has some shame and has some anxiety and has some doesn't mean we can't work through all of that but like that's normal to me right um the second person this one's not so funny the first one was funny to me um the second one was more oh this was there was nothing new that i read in this book i've heard it all you know like the mm-hmm. author is nothing new to say right and so i yeah, and i don't respond to any of these any of these i told myself along the go i will peek and look at them and some people don't and maybe it would be better that i don't but i learn from them as well you know and there's so many good ones that i love that too you know so this is someone who 
didn't know my work or didn't know that I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, one of the very first people to ever use the term financial therapy, you know, or call myself a financial therapist. And now I get Google alerts daily about financial therapy and how mainstream it's become. Mm -hmm. And I had a client earlier today and he Googled me. He Googled financial therapy. He didn't Google me, excuse me. He Googled financial therapy and found me, you know? And what is financial therapy? You know, it's helping people. It's supporting mental health. It's decreasing stress, right? Right. But it's basically, it's therapy. It's helping people work with their emotions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And do you do you do um, one-on-one financial therapy nowadays? I do. Okay. I do. You only one session though. It's one deep session, so it's not ongoing. Um, I used to do ongoing, but now you can just go to my website and you sign up for one session, and there's an intake form, and we do 75 minutes, and you know there's I follow up notes after, but it's I like the one deep deep really deep session where we just like get really right to it yeah Um, a lot of people just need I say this a lot a safe and brave space to go to to share all their stuff you know sometimes I'm just helping them see they're doing so much better than they ever thought or you know they can make their list of what they do well with money or we can move a lot of the shame off to the side you know, there's lots of other things I do in there too. Yeah. Um, but I'm also an intermediary between all the other players on a financial support team, you know, because I didn't know. And no, most people don't know the difference between a bookkeeper and a financial coach and a financial planner and a state planner and what they do and their background and the differences. And, you know, there's a whole chapter in my first book on who are the players on your financial support team. And so some people come to me just, well, really just to have this, a person that they can tell all their money stuff to. So I've heard everything at this point, you know, and nothing surprises me. And it's all, it's all part of the terrain. Yeah. Yeah. It makes the bigger picture. Well, it, it it's like a, a piece of the puzzle that's, that's necessary. And I think um, you know, you're, you're helping a lot of, um, financial planners and, and coaches and, um, those and bookkeepers and things, and people like that who do more of the numbers stuff to learn how to do more of the emotional work through your mentorship. And it's, it's a, it's a need. I mean, and you saw that because there are so many people who do those kinds of things that, have emotion pe- clients that have emotions come up and not knowing how to handle that or <laughs> i'm sure um can feel a little bit um daunting so it's good to have those tools that you share um so just to just to wrap up and did you have anything else did you want to speak to that at all yeah i mean so here's a little story i worked with a couple of years ago and he came from a traditional finance background and she was more of a yoga teacher than turned real estate, right? Person. Um, and their money dates were the fighting, screaming, swearing, crying version, you know, for a long time, because 
he kept showing up at the table, whipping out the spreadsheet saying like, I, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I got the traditional finance degree, you know? So let me just tell you how to do this. And she was like, get those spreadsheets away from me. You're like, I, I don't want to see them and they're freaking me out. And no, you know, you're not my teacher and I don't want you to be. And he was like, well, I'm the best teacher for you, you know? So she asked him to do the program, you know, the year long program. And he was very hesitant because again, he thought he was the right teacher and knew everything. And so they learned how to have a different kind of money date. You know, they learned that to go through my four phases and eventually he learned a lot of things. He learned, wow. Um, he didn't learn anything about money psychology, anything about money emotions and money stories, nothing about personal finance, right? And so, yeah, he knows some things and that's great. Um, but he didn't know how to have open and healthy conversations about money. He thought his way the right way. He thought she was doing it the wrong way, you know? And so he really learned a lot. He really opened up, which is so wonderful because he was so skeptical. He was like, who is this, you know, very person, who is this financial therapist person? And what is she doing talking about money and emotions and, you know, um, so they learned, you know, she eventually learned Quicken on her own and wanted to have her own bookkeeping tracking tool. And then they could sit at the table, you know, and talk about numbers at that point. And he learned how to talk about his childhood and money stories and some of the harder stuff that he's been through. And he got to talk about that. Right. So, I mean, that's just one story. But, you know, for years, I saw financial planners were starting to question do I need to become a therapist here? You know, like, do I, you know, I'm seeing so much triggers and so much emotions and, you know, in my, my clients and I'll send them a very clear, clear plan, investment plan, and they're not doing it. Or I send them a very clear budget and they're just not doing it. So what's the deal, right? And then it goes back to the 90% of our money decisions are based on our emotions. And so, yeah, financial planners need to learn about money psychology. They need to learn that it's not black and white for everyone or not everyone's a natural planner or thinker about the future, mm -hmm. right? We all have different strategies and approaches and styles. And, um, you know, so I love working with accountants, bookkeepers, financial coaches, financial planners that want to learn about money motions and money stories and bring somatic tools and, you know, bring some of these practices back to their clients. They don't need to become a therapist, but they just need to be better listeners and have more compassion for how emotional it is for folks and create some space and some practices around that when they're whipping out the you know investment plan or the budget, right? Or go slower or explain things more and so on. So that's just a little bit about that. And then the therapists, you know, they need to do this work as well. Like therapists need their own therapy. They need a brave and safe space. And there's so many practical tools that they never learned. And money psychology, as we said, was left out of their training too. So mm -hmm. they, need, they need it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the more people that have more planners and all, anyone who has these tools now, uh, it makes it more available and accessible to the, 
those of us who are sensitive and maybe a little bit afraid to talk to a, a financial planner or someone like who we wouldn't think would be able to hold space for the any emotional side that might come up. Totally. So it makes so it a little least- scary. Yeah. And and any of these spaces, like, again, they don't need to be a full on therapist, you know, but they just need to know how emotional it can be for some of us or many of us. Right. And, and be able to hold space as we call, as we call it, you know, for all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Thanks so much for sharing all of that. <laughs> this is one of my favorite episodes. I feel like you you shared a lot of um, steps that people can take and just kind of some background that I don't I think it's gonna help people see that there's this whole other world of being able to use money in a way that's more honoring of our bodies and our relationships and our um, our emotions. And I think that's huge. Um, so thanks so much for sharing all of that. And um, if anyone um, wants to check out her book, it's called The Art of Money. And she has a workbook as well, and then a year-long program and the mentorship, which um, I think the mentorship is going to be launching again this summer or, f- or fall. Yeah, this late summer, it's going to be, we'll run it from August to November. <clears throat> so we have the holidays off. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll be opening it up again in June, July for the next round. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you thank so you much, Barry. Thank for having me. Thank you so much. I love being with you and it was an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone.